Welcome to episode 58 of The Book Cougars, Two Middle-Aged Women on the Hunt for a Good Read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we have a lot to cover today. Because we, we are finishing our summer of little women. Hasn't it gone by so fast? It has. Yeah. Yeah. We've covered a lot of territory. We've read a lot. We visited Concord, saw a Louisa May Alcott's home, and we're going to finish up by discussing um, Anne Boyd Rue's book, Meg Jo Beth Amy, The Story of Little Women and Why It Still Matters, which is an excellent read. Excellent. We can't stress that enough. We both loved it. Yeah. It was it was like painful to put it down. Yeah. When I had to go off and do something else. Because yeah. if I had had the time, I probably could have read the whole thing in one sitting. I think yeah. it was that engaging. Yep. And I almost did. Yeah, so, did you? Yeah. Excellent. Well, we'll be talking about that later in this episode. Yeah. And um, we did want to mention just a couple of things before we get started. One is big shout out to Linda Johnson, who has been maintaining our bookshelf in Goodreads under our Goodreads group, which is just called the Book Cougars. She's up to, I think we have over 250 books oh, fabulous. on our bookshelf. So what she does is after each episode goes in as the books we've talked about. So it's a great reference spot if you are interested in, you know, digging up a book that we've talked about. We also, of course, have the show notes that have all of the books listed yes, as well. Yes, on our website, which Emily does, and she kicks ass at it. <laughs> They're very detailed. So every book that we mention is in there event dates are in there all that good stuff right yeah right and so thank you to linda and then also thank you to listener christine who helped issue a correction when i talked about buttermilk graffiti and german food on the last episode i mentioned that he went to michigan to study german food and eat german food indeed he made a stop in michigan his wife is from michigan but actually, that was a, a chapter about Wisconsin. Okay. So thank you to Christine for not only alerting us to that, but doing the research for the correction. So, so we didn't have to. We appreciate yeah. it. it. does make more sense. Wisconsin's a big German settlement area. Hence right. all the beer yes. in Milwaukee. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Cool. So what are you currently reading, Chris? I have started reading Carnegie's Maid, or Carnegie's Maid, mm -hmm. as the case may be, by Marie Benedict. I'm listening to it on audio because I'm, I sit at my desk all day and I need to get out and move a little bit more. So I thought, okay, audiobook, let's do this. Because yeah. I love to listen to an audiobook quickly and I don't drive a lot anymore. So it's helping me read the book and also get some exercise in. But I'm loving it. It's read by... Oh, gosh, did I write her name down? I didn't. Oh, yeah, here it is. Alana Kerr Collins is the woman who reads, performs the novel. She does an excellent job because there's a lot of Irish and Scottish accents happening. Oh, nice. So it makes me, it kind of actually makes me feel a little bit like connected to my childhood because two of my parents' uh, closest friends, it was a Irish couple and then a Scottish couple. So having those accents in my head again. The brogue, yes. as they say. Yeah, nice. I can hear my, my friend Sharon's mom saying, away and chase yourselves whenever <laughs> we were in, underfoot, you know. <laughs> anyway, that is my bad accent. Um, Carnegie's Maid, though, is about a young Irish woman who is leaving Ireland. She's on a ship headed to America during the Civil War, 1860s, and she's alone traveling. She makes it through okay. The, somebody does die on the voyage and is sewn up in a sheet and put overboard. They get to America. They make it through the health inspection. And she was planning on making it to Pittsburgh to live with some distant cousins. But there's somebody calling out her name. And after a little investigation, she responds. The story takes off from there. I don't think it's too much of a spoiler, since the title is Carnegie's Made, to say that she becomes... Uh, the lady's maid to Carnegie, Andrew Carnegie's mom, who's yes. the matriarch of the family. So it's really, I'm enjoying it very much. I like the story a lot. I've always been a fan of Andrew Carnegie. I know some people despise him for his capitalist union-busting ways and, and other things that are coming up that are, are mentioned in the storyline. But I appreciate, obviously, what he did for libraries in America Right. And reading and learning and everything. So I'm enjoying the book. I'm just about 30% in. And I can imagine where some things might be going. Yeah. So we'll see. 
Yeah, so that's Carnegie's Made by Marie Benedict. Excellent. And I am, too, listening to an audiobook. I'm having the same issue you are, which is I don't drive as much as I used to in my life in Ohio. I do go to visit my gentleman caller who lives an hour away. So I always try to have a book on hand or pod, get caught up on some podcasts when I'm driving um, to see him. But I just also have been cooking a lot. I've joined a farm CSA this summer, and it's tomato season, so I've been making tomato sauce and zucchini bread and all sorts of things, and I'm finding listening to audiobooks while I cook is just pure pleasure. Mm -hmm. So um, the book I'm listening to is The Outliers by Kimberly McCreet. Oh, you are. Very cool. Which is a YA book. It's the first in a trilogy, Mm -hmm. right? The newest of which just came out. And we'll be talking about an event with her coming up in our Biblio Adventure, or upcoming jaunts, I should say, section. But I'm really enjoying it. I started it yesterday. I think I'm about an hour and a half in. Okay. And it's... um, you definitely can tell that something's in the air, something interesting is about to happen, but I'm not there yet. Okay. But um, it's a young high school student who's suffered the loss of her mother, so she's really struggling, and has a friend who's gone missing. So, so far, that's really the gist of the story. But I get the sense, partly from the title, that something science fiction-y or mystery or scary is about to ensue so more to come on the next episode (laughs) and chris is looking at me knowingly because she knows i think (laughs) i do i'll be talking about that one in our just red oh excellent but i will promise no spoilers oh that's okay that's okay So are you, are you currently reading anything else? Well, I am. I'm actually reading book two in the Outlier series. Oh, that's hilarious. The Scattering. And that's Kimberly McCrate. Um, I just started it. I'm like 14% into the story. Just started it late last night. So it picks up where book one in the trilogy leaves off. Okay. Yeah. And she's also the author of Reconstructing Amelia, yes. right? Which was not a YA, am I right? No, that was a that was a adult mystery novel. She okay. has two adult mystery novels. And that one was nominated for an Edgar and a couple other big mystery awards, I believe. Yeah. So, um, although I have to say, listening to that, Liars, it's a YA novel, but I, I mean, I am completely invested in it, mm-hmm. it's, and it doesn't feel, you know, like it's for young readers by any stretch. And it's, so it makes me want to read her adult novel mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, so that's what I'm reading, The Scattering by Kimberly McCrate. And I'm reading that one on my, as an ebook, which is nice, because I have put the app on my phone, too, so now wherever I am, I have that book yeah. to Pick up open and up read. and read, nice. so... So what did you just read? Well, I'll just stick with Outliers. Um, <laughs> I just read that. I finished it the other day, and I did enjoy it. I, I do think it was a little, for me, it didn't really pick up steam until about the halfway point, mm. and then it kicked off. I can sense that already, because mm-hmm. like I said, I think it's a nine-hour audiobook, and I'm an hour and a half in, and yeah. you know, mm-hmm. we haven't quite gotten to the full action yet, so... Yeah, so I did enjoy it, and I look forward to the rest of the trilogy because I want to find out, obviously, what happens. Because there is there's a psychological thing that is happening. Because one of the things, the young woman who's the protagonist, she suffers from anxiety. Before her mom was even killed in that accident, she had anxiety issues, and that her mom's death just really tailspinned her, mm-hmm. as those things do. Right. And you also find out other things about this anxiety through what is revealed in the outliers. Okay. Well, the other Chris is trying to be I'm so careful. To, yeah, I'm trying not to say a lot. <laughs> I think I surprised you about the fact that I was reading it. Well, and the other thing that I think is interesting is that the protagonist's father studies emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And he's being very cautious with her in a way that I keep thinking, okay, there's yeah. something here. And it's fascinating to me because my son Jacob is very interested in studying emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see how the book progresses. It might be something that I recommend that he read as yeah. well so yep yeah yeah emotional intelligence <sighs> <laughs> i wish you guys could see her face she's she's trying so hard yeah, not dad, to say things the dad is a character in there and you don't know like is he a good guy is he what is his deal yeah what's going on he's a scientist you see a mad scientist 
Is he a good dad? Like, what is his deal? And I, and I don't even have an answer to that even after, I don't think, reading the outliers. I'm not sure. I'm still not. I mean, he's still a big F for me. Okay. Well, that's why it's a trilogy, maybe. Yes. <laughs> well, I am in in um, keeping with the theme of we're reading the same books. I finished Carnegie's Maid. Oh, cool. By Marie Benedict. I loved this book. Carnegie is someone that I've been very fascinated with since I started studying philanthropy. Mm-hmm. For those of you who are just tuning in, I studied philanthropy for five years. It took me five years to get a degree. And um, he's somebody that wrote, in 1889, he wrote The Gospel of Wealth, which was an essay essentially saying that wealthy people have a duty to give their wealth away through philanthropy to help society, which, you know, is great. It's wonderful. And everybody, if you go to seek a degree in philanthropy or even work in the nonprofit sector, you've probably heard of Andrew Carnegie, even if you're not you know, in library work and all that, because he did start the Carnegie Libraries, which were a public public institutions for people to improve themselves, really was his passion project. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But on the other hand, as an industrialist in the early industrial time, he, you know, he made his money in steel and the railroads and everything. He was considered a tyrant. Right. So he became this incredibly wealthy person who decided to give his money away, but he wasn't particularly kind to his business associates and particularly his employees. He was anti-union, right? Mm -hmm. All of this stuff. So as a student of philanthropy, I really struggled from the very beginning about, well, why do we have these foundations with tremendous wealth? Part of it is because the people who run these businesses may not pay their employees well and just continue to gain wealth, right? Right. In order to give it away. And then they decide what people need in order to improve their lives. And I don't think anybody I know, especially the book cougars, would say that (laughs) building libraries and putting books in them is a bad thing, right? Right. And he was an immigrant and he really believed in, you know, that libraries helped him and his family. Absolutely. He was self-educated. Right. And he really believed that if you had access to books you could better yourself and better your condition and better your family and everything. And I think one thing he did do, didn't he have decent working hours though for his employees so that they would have time off He did to study and learn. And in the big uh, library slash auditorium that he had built in Pittsburgh was for the employees. And it, it had concerts and lectures and obviously it was a library as well. And it's still there and I really want to go visit. Ooh, Yeah. Joint joint. (laughs) (laughs) So so anyway, getting back to the book, one of the things historically in real life that has been a question mark to people is if he was so tyrannical, why did he decide to write the gospel of wealth and to give his money away and all of that? And a lot of historians think that there was somebody, a relationship is what they hypothesize, that influenced him Mm -hmm. to do so. But nobody has been able to find any proof of that. So what Marie Benedict did was she created a a fictional character, this maid of Carnegie's mother, who becomes influential in Andrew Carnegie's life. Yeah. And I thought it was so fantastic. And it is on the, I think one of the blurbs on the cover is it's kind of like a Downton Abbey upstairs, downstairs kind of Mm -hmm. book, which is totally true because she's a lady's maid. Right. You know, they well, have tremendous wealth. Exactly. And she she was, it, what's interesting too is the novel discusses a lot of the different, you know, stations of Irish immigrants that came. That the, you had a lot of the rural, uneducated Irish who were coming over at this time because of the potato famine. Right. When, you know, the generation of Irish who came before were a little bit more educated. Right. And had but higher positions. They... Mm. So our main character should have technically been like a scullery maid. Right. Because she came from a rural family that wasn't formally educated, but her dad really believed in education. Right. So made sure that his children read and were reading widely and everything. So one of my favorite scenes, at least that I've gotten to so far, was when she's on the train or the trolley and Andrew Carnegie sits down next to her. And they start talking about books and uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, they kind of bond over her. Right. And I thought that was just a lovely scene. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I just loved it. And But then there's also, you know, Andrew Carnegie, unlike some of the other wealthy people, 
started out as an immigrant himself mm-hmm. in very abject poverty, right? Yes. So it also, a lot of the book is also about the crossover that this maid actually has with this family, but yet they are trying to raise themselves to a different station in life. Is that how you say it? You know, in kind of hang with the Rockefellers mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Yeah, like they ever fit in. Nouveau riche. Yeah, right? exactly. Of earlier generation, like right. they have all this wealth and the mom doesn't really know what the styles necessarily right. are or some of the decorum and things like that. So the lady's maid is helping her right. with some of that stuff. Like I just, just listen on the way over here. I just listened to the scene about changing her hairdo. Right. That her hairdo is like about 10 years out of date. Right. And you know, how do you do the new hairstyle without it ruining your hair when you take your hat off? And she's like, you wear one of the smaller hats that are in style now. And, the mother ultimately decides, like, I'd, I'd look foolish. I'd look like a buffoon, and I don't want to embarrass Andrew. She's like, I'd rather look like an old-fashioned mother right. than embarrass anyone. Yeah. So it's, it's fascinating to it's me a, how yeah. all of these inf- relationships influence, you know, up and down and sideways. Yeah. It I, was great. Yeah. I loved it. I highly recommend it. Carnegie's Made by Marie Benedict, and it is out and available yeah. now. Yeah. So I read others. Go for it. I finished How Hard Can It Be by Allison Pearson. This is the second book in the Kate Reddy series. The first book is I Don't Know How She Does It, which came out in 2001. Mm. So there's been quite a long patch between because I don't, How Hard Can It Be came out this year. Mm, So 17 years between. And the character is British and she's raising a family when in I don't know how she does it, the kids were babies and she her job was very she was very high standing in the financial world, starting a hedge fund and high demanding hours in a very male centric world. And so part of the it's kind of like Bridget Jones diary, except you know, and funny and that sort of thing, except she's a working mom trying to keep all of the plates spinning. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite parts when I read the first one, our ages kind of mirror each other, the characters' ages. So I, too, had younger kids. And you found yourself at work, you know, making lists about the important work things you had to do. And don't forget to buy diapers and you're out of toilet paper and that sort of thing. Yeah. So in the book, you know, she she has these lists like, don't forget to close the five million dollar deal, and you need nappies, you know, and the, you know, which is such a chronic, you know, mother problem. You wake up in the middle of the night thinking about your work, you know, kid life balance crossover, and at the end of I don't know how she does it, Kate Reddy decides to leave her work life and focus on her family. So, which is a bit of a spoiler. I apologize, but and how hard can it be? She's now forty nine, about to turn fifty. Her husband has decided to quit his job and find himself, I'm using air quotes, which means bicycling a lot and, you know, doing a lot of therapy and changing his career. And then she has teenagers. And the book starts with her daughter. This is the very beginning, so this isn't a spoiler. On Facebook, posting a belfie, which I'd never heard of, which is a selfie, but of your naked butt. Because oh. she sent it to a friend to show her tan lines, but then it goes viral and it ends up being Delphi. this big hoo-ha. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> so, so the mom is trying, she is still not back to work and she's, you know, now has teenagers and she's trying, they've moved into a house they're renovating and she, her life is just chaos, but a different kind of chaos than it was in the first book. Mm. And she ends up having to try to go back to work. And what the book really talks about is the fact that, you know, when you get to be a certain age, it can be really hard to re-enter your life and to justify the time that you took off, again, using air quotes, to raise your family. Yeah. So it has the same tremendous amount of humor that the first book had. I absolutely loved it. I read it in two sittings and laughed out loud so often that Jim on occasion was like, what are you reading? And I had to keep, you know, reading him passages that were so funny. Um, She's just an entertaining reader or writer. And I listened to a couple of interviews and she said the reason that there was so much time between the two books is because she really thought she said everything she wanted to say in the first book and didn't realize that she would have more to say but then when she moved into the years of raising her teenagers she realized wow there's a lot more fodder for her story here than she thought there would be so she wrote 
How Hard Can It Be, which is the second book in the series. So again, the first was I Don't Know How She Does It. The second is How Hard Can It Be by Alison Pearson. And you read another one? I did. Okay. I read The Bookshop by Penelope Fitzgerald. Oh. This is coming out as a movie. Yeah. So I saw that it was coming out as a movie and thought, and, and I love the preview because it has Emily Mortimer and um, Bill, I don't know how to say his name. Is it Nighy? Is that how you say it? I'm not sure. And um, so I thought, oh, I'll give the book a try. It's a novella. It's very short. I started reading it and could not do it. And then again, was looking for audio and thought, oh, I'll try it on audio. Mm-hmm. It's just a three-hour audio because it's so short, and I loved it. Great. And it's about a woman who's a widow and kind of in early middle age and, and moves to a small seaside town in England and decides to buy an old abandoned house and open a bookshop. Very cool. And it has, of course, a cast of characters that all small towns do, and people are vehemently against her having a bookshop there. Mostly, I should say people, the, a woman who has a lot of standing in the community that wanted that house to be used as a cultural center. Uh-huh. And so not a lot happens in the book, but it was very wonderfully written. Penelope Fitzgerald's an author who's now pass- passed away, but... She started her writing career at the age of 58, which I really admire. Yeah. And I believe this book was up for, um, I want to say, a Man Booker Award or something like that. So really sweet little book about books, really. So um, again, the writing, reading it straight out didn't catch capture my attention, but the audio I thought was great. Mm-hmm. The Bookshop by Penelope Fitzgerald. All right, so now we are on to our read-along for Meg, Joe, Beth, Amy, The Story of Little Women and Why It Still Matters by Anne Boyd-Rue. Just came out a couple weeks ago, and it is doing gangbusters. Sales-wise, getting great reviews all over the place. I have to say also, you know, I look at Chris and, you know, first I just want to say, to sum up the, the summer of Little Women, this was a very organic thing that happened for us. We were standing in Northshire Bookstore and saratoga springs and i said you know i've never read geraldine brooks and and i was like oh my god i haven't either and i'm doing this australian woman writers challenge and she's an australian writer so it was on my radar to read too so we said hey that's cool right let's read march well let's read little women Women, because we knew about the anniversary coming up and you hadn't read it and it had been a long time since i read it Right. And then I'm not sure how Anne's you, book came out. You on knew radar. about that. I as knew well. about it. Okay. So what I was really going to say is that all of this is really due to Chris because oh. I didn't even know it was the 150th anniversary <laughs> of Little Women. It's really helpful to have a historian in your midst, everybody. <laughs> and um, and then we went to Concord, which was such a wonderful experience for me to do that with you because again, as a historian, you just you know so much and it was really lovely you know I just think it's a cemetery but no it's much more than that you know so um so the final book we're gonna we're gonna talk about is this one by Anne Boyd Rue and for if anyone missed it on episode 57 we had an interview with Anne Mm -hmm. as well which she's so interesting she's so interesting and she's so well spoken and now that we've read the book, I want to ask her a million more questions. Yeah. Um, but we'll we'll make a, a kind of a list of everything we did for the summer of Little Women, because it did start in June with reading Little Women. July was March, and then August. Here we are. Right. Yeah. And then when we're done talking today, we're going to watch the movie with Catherine Hepburn as Joe. Yes. That will be the that will the be, finale. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, you know, but I know you are more of a student of literature than I am. This was, I think, my first experience reading a book that was about a book. Oh, and I a nonfiction loved book it. about a book. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought she was brilliant. I expected it to be much more academic. Mm-hmm. It was not academic. It was purely. Joy, yeah. entertainment, yeah. interesting, I thought. It was not dry academic at no. all. I mean, I but I do feel like she has set a new standard of having academic standards hmm. with how she presents her argument, with footnotes and support and all that. And, and also, 
it being very well written for a popular audience. Mm-hmm. It's so engaging. You want to just keep reading because you want to keep learning more and you want more of the connections that she makes. Right. Within yeah. her arguments. I agree. Yeah. yeah. So the book is broken down into three parts. Part one is the making of a classic. And that talks about how little women came to be. Louisa May Alcott's life, how it impacted her writing, her book. And then part two is the life of a classic, which is about uh, stage and screen adaptations, the literary influence uh, that the book has had, the popularity of it. And then part three is a classic for today, with, which is, again, it's asking the question, can boys read Little Women? That was one of my favorite chapters, mm-hmm. I have to say. So, yeah, and, so, and she ends up talking about how the Gilmore Girls. Yes. You know, so she really ties in the book's writing, the book's reception, readers' preferences, and the impact that it's had on writers and American literature in general, and then the stage adaptations, movie adaptations going, still happening. I mean, there's a big one coming out, I think, next year um, that, gosh, what what Meryl Streep is involved in and a lot of other actors. I know um, someone just posted on our Goodreads page today that Emma Stone, who had been slated to play Joe, can't do the role anymore because of her schedule with some award that she's up for so emma watson right is gonna play of hermione fame yes yes which i don't know i can't really i was i'm a stone i could picture as you know a gangly tomboy i'm right. not sure about emma watson as much as i love her see i had read and maybe this was I, i'm because i had heard this a couple of weeks ago that they weren't sure which character emma emma watson was gonna play but i guess yeah it's, they it's yeah she now. wanted to be attached to it yeah. and they were finalizing roles yeah. and all that so but so here's a book that was written 150 years ago, and an adaptation just came out on PBS yes, this year. Yes, Another movie's coming out in November. That is a modern adaptation. Right. Like, it's, you know, it's taking the story but putting it in modern-day situation and clothes. Right. And the preview for that looks really good. It looks really good. And then the the one that's being worked on now, I think, is supposed to come out in 2019, maybe mm-hmm. 2020, but... I mean, that's just in, in two years' time, yeah. three more adaptations. Right. It's pretty amazing. It is a really awesome book, and mm-hmm. I think it is, it's one of those books that suffers from its popularity, because I know, like, in my own case, I didn't read it because I did. I felt like I knew enough about it that I did, you know? Mm-hmm. What kind of lame attitude is that, especially <laughs> for somebody who was supposedly studying American literature? But there, but you have to also, I mean, I think you're being hard on yourself because you have to choose. There's. It's not like there's not a glut of other books that yeah. you'd be reading in place of Little Women. Exactly, right? but Anne Boyd Rood makes the argument about... You know what, Let me. can I read a couple Please. sections of this? Because she makes an argument for Little Women being a foundational text for women writers, and then she also talks about it being that it should be really a core book mm-hmm. for people studying in American literature. So... I'm going to read a paragraph from this chapter on the book's cultural and literary influence. She says, this is Anne, Yet, in spite of Little Women's elevation to canonical status, scholars still do not sufficiently acknowledge how key Little Women has been to the development of women's literary traditions in the United States and abroad. It has been a foundational text, not only in the history of women's literature, but also an individual writer's very conception of themselves as writers and artists. During the many decades that academics snubbed the book, while school teachers embraced it and critics and diplomats enlisted it in a worldwide ideological war, girls were quietly retreating into the nooks and crannies of their homes to pour over the pages they felt Alcott had written just for them. When they were done reading, many didn't simply lay the book aside and pick up another, they went back to page one and started all over again. They couldn't get enough of this novel that illuminated a path to a newly imagined future, one in which they could, like Joe March, spend their hours alone honing their craft and becoming the hallowed mystical thing, an author. In short, Little Woman is the book, more than any other, to which American women writers' ambitions can be traced. Mm. And so she talks about all these different women writers yeah. who pay 
homage to the novel in one way or another or talk about Joe and what a revelation Joe was for them. So that is one segment. And then let me just read this other paragraph, if you don't mind. Please. The extent to which Little Women has echoed throughout literary culture should make it a core text in college classrooms. The kind of text students must know if they want to understand the roots of American and women's literary traditions. Instead, the novel is not taught much at all. When it is taught, it is usually in children's literature courses. She just goes on kind of making the argument for scholars, too, to pick up the mantle of Little Women mm -hmm. and make it more of a popular text that's studied in college classrooms and also in in grade schools. Right. Really, because yeah. I just love the arguments that she makes about... Am I talking? Do you, do you, no. Do you want to say anything no, about no, that? No, okay, because no, I want to jump into this other issue that she talks about that blew my mind, and that is the connection of boys reading and rape culture yeah which i was just like holy beep i never saw that before but now that she has put it out there it seems so crystal clear mm -hmm. so her argument is talking about how in grade school the focus is on boys getting boys to read keeping boys reading there's this whole crisis of boys not reading which harry potter was supposed to and it did. It got, Harry Potter got a lot of boys reading. Mm -hmm. But the argument being that boys want to read about boys doing adventurous stuff. Boys wouldn't want to read a book about girls. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, and all of us book nerds have seen the articles floating around about how reading helps build empathy. Right. And so um, what Anne is saying is that to, to only cater to boys' tastes is developing a worldview for them that doesn't include women as anything other than sidekicks and wives and God knows what else, you know? Well, I mean, like, if you bring in graphic not, novels, yes, et cetera, you know, although women, the world of graphic novels is improving. Yeah, but, like yeah. women have no interiority. You know, right. women have no emotional weight in a lot of these books that are, quote, written for boys. Mm -hmm. And the assumption is that girls will read anything. Girls will happily read a book about a boy. And so, you know, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is taught and, you know, other books where the boys are the main characters. And she does mention two books that are read a lot about girls and or by women. And one is um, Harper Lee's novel, To Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird, which she says it's not like it's studied for a little girl's development. It's studied for what it has to teach us about racism. Right. And then Uncle Tom's Cabin, if that is taught, it's not taught as if, you know, a book that was written by a woman, it's about slavery. It's uh, taught as a window into the world of slavery right. and, and the abolitionist movement, if anything. So the, the issue with little women being by a woman who was a girl who knew girls very well, even though she didn't necessarily always want to be a girl, it opens up so many different conversations. Right. And as... And Boyd Rue says, like, if boys want to read books about aliens, have them read Little Women. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, because <laughs> yeah. girls can be aliens to right. boys. Yeah. But, and it really just made me think in such a different way about this argument. And mm -hmm. it made me think about education, too. And what is the point of education? You know, education isn't about giving people what they want, especially children who need our guidance. Mm -hmm. Education is about opening up minds and exploring different ideas and different worlds. And yes, kids need to be reflected in what they're reading, but they also need to be exposed. Right. And they also need to learn empathy, mm -hmm. if, especially if they're not getting that at home. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so obvious now. Yeah. And I had always been in the let's get boys reading camp, mm -hmm. which is important. Mm -hmm. But I think also if you're, you're not, you're, if you're cutting off half of humanity and you're cutting off boys' ability to empathize because they're only reading about adventure stories where boys are kicking ass. Right. What is that right. teaching them? Well, I think there's also a lot of assumption about what pe kids want to read. And that's something as a parent that I worked really hard against. You know, because we can be really guilty of deciding what our kids like at a very young age. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and then you stick with that. And it's one of the things as an adult, right, that can be really frustrating about your family is that they hold you in this place that where you no longer exist. Right. And so I think that, you know, the, the people that are the most avid readers that I know, the way they were exposed to reading as children was really... A lot of it was by librarians who just said, you know, like, oh, you're interested in this. Here's a slew of books and all sorts of ranges. And it isn't necessarily about, like, the cool kid that was, you know, slaughtering aliens, you know. And also parents who just let kids go to a bookshelf and pick up anything at any time. And mm -hmm. I think that's really important. And I think educators can, unfortunately, be sometimes the worst offenders. Yeah. At deciding, like, I'm looking at a room full of 25 kids and I need to pick a book that is going to be just as appealing to boys as it is to girls, which is mm -hmm. such an offensive idea yeah. in a lot of ways. And Anne talks about going into a classroom and talking about little women, or I think she was talking to a teacher about this, where the teacher gave a group of kids a choice. Yeah, and, she did go to talk to those oh, she students. Did. Okay. And then they, I think the teacher's... They broke into small groups to have right. a book group? Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah, okay. and several of the groups that included boys welcomed the idea of reading Little Women. Mm -hmm. And then Anne talks about her own students and how some of her male students are so incredibly moved and touched by reading Little Women. Mm -hmm. And this window into the female psyche and the female world. And she also even talks about Lori, the character Lori, who's, um, you know, one of the only really male characters in the book, because as we've mentioned, the father is largely absent, and how he isn't, you know, he's a musician, and he really wants to follow his love of the arts, and how that w is so important for so many boys to be able to read mm -hmm. a character like that. Yeah. You know? He's the boy looking in. Right. She talks about that, how the male characters and little women are supporting characters. Right. They're yeah. not the main focus. the main event yeah. yeah so yeah yeah it's an important book it really is <laughs> it really is and it made me it made me wish this reading Anne's book made me wish I had grown up reading Little Women me too and she said that in her interview yeah. right and yes. how I mean I think some of that is generational right and that you know a lot of it does have to do with whether the book was important to your own mother or grandmother or, exactly. you know, yeah. um, and the perception. I don't even think I knew about it really as a kid. I mean, I didn't read those sort of books. My mm -hmm. mother certainly didn't ever mention it to me that I can remember. And mm -hmm. I never had a teacher mention it to me. And it was never on a reading list. Yeah. You know, I don't remember it at all really until... Maybe that even that adaptation that came out with Winona Ryder maybe mm -hmm. is yeah. when maybe when was that what did you what year that was, was in the nineties early nineties I might have known because I do think I probably knew about it just from the Catherine Hepburn movie because there's mm -hmm. something about it that makes me feel like I caught a little bit of it at one time mm -hmm. but I never it wasn't in my consciousness as a book to read mm -hmm. that's for sure. Well, I also think by reading Anne's book, I have, you know, I had a really hard time when we started reading Little Women. I didn't, I ended up really mostly listening to it, which mm -hmm. was much easier for me. I had a hard time with the language, you know, it was kind of formal language in my sense. And also, you know, I was placing myself as, you know, someone currently living in 2018 and who, you know, was raised in the, you know, the feminist, during the feminist movement, right? Mm -hmm. And really had a hard time with it. And I think that, Reading Anne's book really helped me place it in time yeah. and its importance in time mm -hmm. as well, yeah. you know. But then also in current day, the, the importance that it has in current day, which I don't think I really felt when I just read it on my own. Mm -hmm. It makes me want to reread it, I have to say. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I Absolutely. I felt the same way. Yeah. And we just re read it a couple exactly. months ago. And I feel <laughs> yeah. like I could pick it up and read it again and... And, you know, she talks about it, how when the when the book came out in, you know, the 19th century, it was fresh. The language was fresh. Right. It was full of slang, mm -hmm. which some people condemned. Mm -hmm. There were some evangelical communities who were like, this is not a book for anybody's church library. These girls are, you know, they're not being, they don't even go to church. I mean, right. the March family. So, and then in England, too, some of the reviews were... This is saying that we would hate to hear this language coming off the lips of our wonderful English girls and right. things like that. So yeah. just how much times change. But I do think one of the things I like about reading older books, well, one of the things I liked about reading older books as a younger person was 
the window to a different time period mm-hmm. it can give you. Mm-hmm. You know, because like the book that got me into reading was Dracula, right? Which had so much. It was written in contemporary times for Bram Stoker, but to me, it gave me a window into that late nineteenth century time mm-hmm. and all the new invention inventions that were being used, like typewriters and whatnot, which were old hat. Right. Well, by the time I was a kid, you know, mm-hmm. but they seemed fresh and new. So I, I like that kind of window into different yeah. worlds. Well, and I, I also think that I just have such a, an appreciation for Louisa May Alcott as a young woman in a in a family that, you know, was very impoverished, making her way in the world, you know, having success with her writing having a publisher telling her that she they wanted her to write a book a certain way and she still stood her ground and didn't give Joe, you know, the marriage that everybody was hopeful for. Yeah. And so I have a lot of respect for her as a writer and a, a, a young woman writer, you know. Yeah. And actually, not only did it make me want to reread Little Women, which, you know, I know in my heart I probably won't do, but to read her other books where, yes. you know, later they, you know, Anne makes the point that she did really get to write about some of the things she was more interested in writing about mm-hmm. later with her other books, yeah. you know, which is, you know, a hopeful story also for authors. A lot of authors enter their field in a, not necessarily writing what they want to write, but knowing to make it as a writer, you know, you have to make some compromises yeah. and, you know, Louisa May Alcott is certainly an example of that. Right. But later ended up having more success. Yeah. So. Yeah. I know. It's a, it's an amazing book. I, yeah. and uh, Little Women and Anne's book are both fantastic. Yeah. I, one more thing, too. I really liked a definition that Anne talked about. Well, okay, so she's talking about all these different adaptations, stage and film. And there was a very successful opera that was written. Mm-hmm. Um Adorno did it, Adamo, sorry, and that it's the closest to the book. Mm-hmm. And, and she just says, I love this definition. The story Adamo tells does exactly what an adaptation should do. It opens up the original text and makes you feel like you understand it even more deeply. It's not only a work of art in its own right, but it's also in deep conversation with the original as if the two are distinct entities existing side by side, each enriching the other. The opera makes you want to go back and read Alcott's work, not to compare or check for points of dissimilarity, but to reread it with fresh eyes. Mm-hmm. And I love that definition, and it is exactly what Anne's book did to me in regards to Little Women. Amen. Picking I agree. Fresh eyes. Yeah. yeah, so Anne... Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for writing such an awesome book and for setting a new standard, I think, for academic popular scholarship. Agreed. How cool would it be to read more books like this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you were in school. Yeah. Yeah. And I did check out, I actually requested um, another book that Anne wrote on Constance Fenimore Wilson, Mm -hmm. the biography of her. Yeah. So, yeah. Look forward to getting to that, too, because I think she's a great writer. She is. Yep. So again, Meg, Joe, Beth, Amy, The Story of Little Women and Why It Still Matters, and Boyd Rue. Highly recommend. Yes, highly recommend it. And if you, we do have a Goodreads discussion thread on the book. So if you do read it months from now, years from now, (laughs) and you want to talk about it, write a comment there and we'll totally love to talk with you about it anytime. Yeah. So Biblio Adventures. I have done a lot of adventuring that included sitting on my butt and watching TV and movies. So when I saw the preview for the bookshop, that's what encouraged me to read the book. But also I was really interested that the director of that movie, Isabel Cosette, who's a Spanish director, also did the movies Learning to Drive and Elegy. And I have seen Learning to Drive, which stars Patricia Clarkson. It's, it came out the summer that I first moved to Guilford, and it was at the Madison Art Cinema, yeah, cool. which is across the street from R.J. Julia's. And on occasion, they do book and movie tie-ins together. Yeah. And they had the author, Katha Pollitt, who this was based on a an essay that she wrote that was in The New Yorker mm-hmm. that was about her summer where she had to learn to drive. Okay. And she came to the Madison Art Cinemas and spoke after the movie. And it was 
fantastic. The movie is fantastic. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. And Elegy was a movie that I'd never heard of, so I looked it up, and that is a movie that's based on Philip Roth's book, The Dying Animal. And I've only read one Philip Roth book. I think it was called Nemesis, which Mm -hmm. was about the polio epidemic, and it was really good. But um, the movie was really good. I recommend it. It's kind of sad. It's about um, an older gentleman and a younger woman who get in a relationship together and I think that's all I'm going to say, okay. <laughs> even though that's very vague. But, um, yeah, it was okay. good. I enjoyed it. And um, so those were three movies based on books. The bookshop, I think, has been released, but hasn't gotten here yet. You know what? I think, actually, when you mentioned uh, the Madison Art Cinema and R.J. Julia, I think they are actually doing a partnership for that movie. They are. Yeah. That's true. So, so they have the books. And I'm not sure if anyone's going to be there to have a conversation or anything after, yeah. but... I think they're going to have the books available at some of the showings or yeah, something. Yeah, and if you're yeah. like a R.J. Julia Book Lovers member, I think you get a dollar off a ticket or something. Okay. Yeah, so I'll put that check in the out show their notes. website. Yeah, yeah, I don't know when that is. And then the other movie I saw that was based on a book was Black Klansman by Spike Lee. Hmm. And that's based on Ron Stallworth's memoir of the same name. And um, so it's, it's based on a true story of a, a black cop in Colorado Springs, Colorado, back in the 60s, who calls basically the Ku Klux Klan where he lives and starts a relationship with them. But obviously he's black, so it's not like mm-hmm. he can show up and become a member of the KKK. Oh, so. is he the one who, like, he wrote them a letter? They were recruiting members and yes. he wrote to them? Okay, he actually picked yeah. up the phone and called them. Okay. And so then he ends up teaming up with one of his white police officers and they kind of form a sting operation for the kkk it's a spike lee movie so if you're familiar with spike lee you know he always has something to say i went with my gentleman caller who had never seen a spike lee and halfway through he turns to me and says i hope it has a happy ending and i was like uh don't hold your breath on that one you know and sure enough it doesn't it is very thought-provoking movie. Okay. I highly recommend it, And but be prepared. Um, and then the other two things I watched was uh, the, the book, I Don't Know How She Does It, by Alison Pierce, Pearson, was made into a movie okay. starring Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, cool. The only sad part about it to me was that they made it very American. You know, oh. she's just, she's an American woman working here. Um, and one of the things I love so much about the book was the British slaying and the nature of it and all of that but I thought it was well done I was Mm -hmm. just sad that they didn't Sarah Jessica Parker didn't slap on a British accent and (laughs) you know (laughs) toddle around England but um but it was enjoyable I watched it one night by myself and you know it was just it was very easy to watch and then the other thing I've been watching is based on um, Buttermilk Graffiti the the memoir I read by Edward Lee Mm -hmm. some one of our listeners told me that, um, actually, no, I think it was Jenny from Reading Envy, okay. talked about his season of Mind of the Chef, oh, okay. which I had never watched. He's on season three of Mind of a Chef, okay. and it is blowing my mind. <laughs> there was an episode where he went to Argentina, and he worked with a chef just cooking things with fire, and it blew my mind. Oh. So I actually have had to take a break from it because <laughs> I was like totally binging it to the point of it was interfering with my work life yeah. <laughs> so um so i think i'm about four episodes in to season three but um again that's mind of a chef and there are yes. other seasons obviously but i just jumped right ahead to that one because yeah. i was so interested so excellent so that so yeah. i didn't really leave, <laughs> i feel like i didn't leave my house much but, but you had, had a lot of yeah. adventures yeah <laughs> exactly. nice. what well, about you we had some um out of town guests our friends uh jason and matt came to visit and they've been here before um and the last time we were here we went to the book barn the main book barn building um so this time they wanted to go and see the outbuildings so we went to store four and three quarters which has expanded a lot now Mm. they've took over kind of that whole building for the most part and they have an upstairs and a cool two cool cats that live there i go to visit the one cat Nice. Because it reminds me of my childhood cats. So adorable. Black and white with green eyes. Aww. Yeah. 
So we went there. We went to then the two downtown stores as well and, and did some browsing one day. Um, but we went up to Salem, Massachusetts, oh, and had a day up there. And it was a good time. We had lunch, and we walked around, and we saw some things. We did an awful tour <laughs> in a Salem Witch Trial Museum. There are a couple there in town. So do you research? People don't just don't walk in and buy tickets. <laughs> this one was awful. Wah, wah. It was bad. It hadn't been updated in a long time, and it's kind of downstairs with figurines and it. I'm really sensitive to mold and mm. stuff, and it was like, oh my god, will I be able to breathe oh, no. after a while? <laughs> it was very informative, um, but the tour guide was like a wax figure himself. He had no passion. <laughs> He looked not interested. We were making up stories about the poor guy that, like, you know, he was the son of the owner, and this is how he had to spend his summers doing the <laughs> So it was informative, but it needs an update for sure. We took a picture of a statue with Nathaniel Hawthorne. Oh, nice. It was a wonderful day nice. to walk around. But one of the best biblio experiences that I've had, and I think I can call this a biblio experience, if you've been listening for a while Listeners, you know, I was obsessed with Fitzgreen Halleck for mm-hmm. a while, who was a Guilford-born poet. He was born in 1790 here in Guilford, Connecticut. Became a really well-known poet of the Knickerbocker group and was called Americans Byron and everything. Um, there's a monument to him in Central Park on the Literary Walk. He's the only American so honored to have a monument there. He has a big monument here at the cemetery in town. And he lived in a couple different houses in town, and I haven't started looking into that. And actually, a couple weeks ago, I was wondering why I haven't done anything yet with all the pictures I took, because I went to Central Park to visit the monument. I obviously visited the cemetery here. I was reading a biography of him. So the other day, I was getting my hair cut at my friend Stephen's place, Bird's Nest Salon and Gallery. It's in an old home, old colonial era, era home. And we're talking, and Stephen does a lot of um, work on his own home, and he loves historic buildings and old buildings, and we are talking about the importance of maintaining them in a way that doesn't damage the historical value of them. He's like, for example, this place. He's like, you know, some famous poet lived here. He died here. It's supposedly haunted by him. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) A famous poet? I've been getting my hair cut in this place for four years now, you know? He's like, yeah. I was like, was his name Fitzgreen Halleck? He's like, wait, what? I was like, Halleck? Fitzgreen? He's like, yeah. Oh, that's he hilarious. He died in this house. His wow. sister died in this house. Wow. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, So like, by the end of the conversation, Stephen was buying the building, and we were going to be making a little museum <laughs> um, to him in a closet somewhere. Uh, that was kind of a joke because right. he was gay closet. Right. Yeah, uh-huh. bad joke. Um, anyway... I was wow. just like, who knew? Right. I was so amazed by that. Wow. Huh. So that was my unplanned biblio adventure. Wow. So if you are a local person, it's 25 Water Street in Guilford. That is the house where Fitzgreen Halleck died. And has Stephen ever felt like the ghost has visited him? Yeah, he has said that weird things have happened. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, Very Salem. <laughs> yeah, Salem right here in Guilford. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> That was really fun to like happen to, to meet yeah, this place. Full circle. So I found a picture of the home from probably the late 19th century. And this little edition that was on there, Stephen thought was a more recent edition, but it's actually been there for quite a while. And I looked at some of the other um, colonial era homes, and they often tend to have that little notch out on the back right of the building. So I'm going to learn more about that. But going into that place, some of the big boards that you see the ship lav, that's actually from the ships. Like, mm. when they came here and they landed, they dismantled the ships wow. and built the houses out of the ship parts. So I guess they were assuming they were staying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's one whole wall in in that building that hasn't wow. been painted, so you could go and see hmm. what that ori- the original shipboard cool. looked like and everything. So, anyway, cool. that was fun. Cool. Yeah. Nice. So now i got all my pictures about Fitzgreen Halleck together, and I will do a blog post. Excellent. And I even shot a video the day I was there, which I found. It was May when I was there, so this has been going on for a while. Mm. Um, and it was a rainy day, but I kind of do a little walk around the literary walk. I'll post that as well. Yeah, cool. 
So, upcoming jaunts. Upcoming jaunts. I plan to go to RJ Julia next week. Kate Walbert is going to be there. She's an, the author who wrote Short History of Women. But her new book that's coming, I think it's out already, is called His Favorites. Hmm. And I really like her writing. So I'm looking forward to meeting her because I don't know anything about her, really. Cool. So that's September 3rd at RJ Julia Madison. What about you? Nice. You know what? The only thing on my radar so far is not until September 15th. It's mm-hmm. the Kimberly McRae right. event that will be at the Book Club Bookstore and more up in South Windsor, Connecticut. That is the 15th from 2 to 3. It's a Saturday. Chris is yeah. hosting. Yeah, I'll be in conversation yeah. with Kimberly with talking Kimberly. about the trilogy. Right. Because the third book in the trilogy just came out this summer. Excellent. And apparently this she was there uh, the last time a book came out and it was packed. Yeah. So if you're interested, definitely call the book club bookstore and reserve your spot. Yeah, RSVP now. Yeah, because yeah. they will be full up. And another thing, I just want to put a bug in people's ear. If you're a, a local person and you're into Willa Cather, the Willa Cather Book Group will have its next meeting on October 18th, which is a Thursday at 2 o'clock at the Book Club Bookstore and more. We'll be reading Death Comes for the Archbishop. And anyone's welcome to join us for that. Excellent. Yeah. And Chris and I have a big event coming up on September 27th. We're going to be at Mohegan Sun in the Cabaret Theater hosting four historical fiction authors. One is Marie Benedict, who mm-hmm. we just talked about for the book Carnegie's Made. And then we also have Fiona Davis, whose most recent book is The Masterpiece. James R. Ben, Solemn Graves is the new book. It's number 13 in the Billy Boyle World War II mystery series. And then Melody Winnower, whose newest book is The Scribe of Siena. Yeah. And we're doing this in partnership with Bank Square Books. You have to purchase a ticket, which is $5. Mm-hmm. Um, we will put the link to that in the show notes. And a really cool drum roll is... <laughs> I can't do drum rolls. <laughs> we'll be doing a giveaway of all four books, um, thanks to the, the publishers. Yeah. So if you are an email subscriber, you'll automatically be entered to win. If you're not an email subscriber, please sign up for our email You'll be automatically entered to win. You can do that by going to bookcougars.com. There's a tab for signing up to be a subscriber. We'll also um, send some things out on our social media once this episode goes live. And we're going to pick the winner by September 8th. So please get signed up for our newsletter by September 8th. Yes. And you will be the lucky recipient, if you win, Mm -hmm. of those four books. Yeah. I have now read... Two out of the four, and I have loved both of them. So I'm looking forward to the other two. Yeah. So what about upcoming reads, Chris? I will be reading the other book in the trilogy for Kimberly McRae that just came out. And then um, I'm not sure which book I'll read then after that in terms of what strikes my fancy. Like I have the Constance Fenimore uh, Wilson bio. By Anne Boyd Rue. By Anne Boyd, yeah, Rue. So, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to tell. I am really excited because I have been on hold through the library for Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain Mm -hmm. um, for the audio for months since he passed away. Of course, you know, it gained in popularity when he passed away because I think there were a lot of us who had been meaning to read it. And Mm -hmm. I have it now. So I'm going to be starting that this week. And I actually was planning to read it. And then our, our mutual friend Russell from Ink and Paper Blog said, oh, Emily, you have to listen to the audio because... Anthony Bourdain narrates Mm. so so that's coming up for me next week and then I also got a book from the publisher Henry Press called Rooted in Deceit it's a cozy mystery and um, it's book four in the Greenhouse mystery series and I'll just read this quick little blurb from our our mystery man John Valerie says Cunning crimes, charismatic characters, and a cozy, if occasionally murderous, community all set this series and story apart, as does the authenticity and assuredness with which the author writes. (laughs) So this is by Wendy Tyson, and this is actually book four, and I'm looking forward to reading it, and I'm hopeful 
You know, it's one of those um, cozy mysteries that ties in a lot of food, which mm-hmm. everyone knows is my true passion. Absolutely. So. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And now, when we sign off, we're going to watch the 1933 adaptation of Little Women starring Katherine Hepburn. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Happy, Happy reading. reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online, Join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.